Hello everyone and welcome to the False Nines. This is the 32nd episode of a bi-weekly footballing discussion. I am your host, Zach Pensack, alongside my good, good friend in a very nice sweater, Adam Goffin. Adam, how are you doing today? Well, thank you very much, Zach. Uh, footy. Everybody is getting fired this week, footy. Yeah, so, so the sack race of the Premier League has begun. Uh, in the lead currently is Tottenham Hotspur, followed closely behind by Watford, and then Arsenal and possibly Everton rounding out the current sack race. So uh, you want to give an update on that so far? Yeah, so we uh, obviously had Mourinho that came in for Spurs a couple weeks ago. Um, and now the most recent one, probably uh, I would say you know the, the biggest one of the latest round of culls that we've had in the Premier League is Unai Emery has left Arsenal. What are your thoughts on that one, Zach? Uh, yeah, he, he, he seemed like he was a dead man walking for before the season ever began. So it, it's really shocking that it took 15 matches for him to, to get the sack. Arsenal sitting in 10th, uh, obviously far, far worse than a, a team you know who's usually in the top six would be hoping to be. Uh, Unai Emery lost the dressing room a long time ago. I, I know I read uh, since the sacking that a, a rumor came out uh, that players were openly mocking his accent, which is just <laughs> awful, awful. But yeah, it, the writing was on the wall from almost the first week of the season for him. I think, you know, beyond his accent, it was probably his tactics. His tactics, yeah. There was no real identity to Arsenal. That's the thing is like, it, it, it was just this continuation of what went wrong last year, which is like a weak aged defense enhanced by David Luiz of all people. And then, you know, overpaying for Pereira, overpaying for Lucas Perez and, and Nicholas Pepe paying what 64 million for him. Like what, what has he done to change the team? Yeah. It's been questionable signings. I would say David Luiz probably top of that list in terms of being able to, you know, reinforce the defense but i agree with you i think you know there's there's definitely some blame to be laid at uh, unai Emery's door on this one but i also feel like they needed a scapegoat and you know there's been plenty of underperforming players for arsenal this year they've hung it on Emery's, and you know the buck stops with him ultimately as the manager but i do think that it was a little bit um, of a shared downfall in terms of arsenal's success so far this season with Emery and some of the underperforming players yeah, I agree with that. Um, but but as we mentioned, you know, Emery is the last, the the most recent person to officially go out the door. But after the results uh, on Wednesday, uh, it does look like Marco Silva, the Everton manager, will be the next to go. Oh, you, uh, you forgot one again, Zay. Who did I forget there? You were forgetting Mr. Watford himself, Kike Sanchez Flores. Yes. Yeah, so so Kike Sanchez Flores was the second man out the door after uh, um, uh, Pochettino. Obviously, a lot less uh, kind of media hype was surrounding that uh, as the uh, Pochettino departure. But yeah, that, that one just, I don't think anybody really cared because nobody really understood why they re-signed their old manager who never had any success at Watford in the first place. Yeah, this one pretty much smacks of desperation for me. They've just brought him in for the second time, sacked him for the second time. Ten games in charge of Watford in this second spell and less than three months at the helm. Watford are a doomed team and now the rumor is that they're going to be bringing in Chris Hewton um, who is another manager who you know he, he's got a, a little bit of a track record of success in the Premier League in terms of keeping teams up but hardly a showcase appointment that you'd be wanting to bring in. I, I feel Watford are in big trouble. 
Yeah, it does. I, I agree. It does smack of desperation, doesn't it? Like, it, it really does seem as though it's whoever is willing to manage the club. It it, it seems like a sign-up type operation now. Uh, um, yeah, there, there's not a lot to, to look forward to with Watford. You know, a, a kind of a, a team that has a number of aged players as well. Like, Troy Deeney has been there for a while and um, hasn't you know, found hasn't been in great health this season, hasn't really found his form this season. Um, and then besides De Lafayette, it doesn't really seem like there's too much attacking threat that they have. So again, that's, that's a club that is really going to be, is really going to be hurting for the rest of the season. Yep. Yeah, I think you summed it up perfectly. So um, as you mentioned previously, I think the last one now of this latest round and it's expected to be announced tomorrow is Marco Silva. So um, for those that didn't know, Liverpool beat um, Everton 5-2 in the Merseyside Derby earlier today. We're recording on Wednesday night. Um, and it was not a fantastic day at the office for the Toffees. So conceding five goals for the first time in a Merseyside Derby since 1982, the glorious year that I was born, Zach. Yeah, so it, you know Everton celebrating uh, celebrating Adam's birth year in style with an awful loss to to Liverpool. Uh, it they they did get uh, two goals back before halftime. So at halftime it was four two, and having them having scored right before the half, it did look like you know maybe maybe they would be able to get some momentum, but um, it wasn't ever really under threat for Liverpool. Liverpool sitting two of their uh, front three in Firmino and Salah and still being able to ship five goals past them. So yeah. that's really all I have to say. Yeah, it was 4-2 at halftime, but there was nothing fortuitous about the scoreline. <laughs> Liverpool were very much in charge. Oh, nice. <laughs> Look at you, uh, you know, usually I'm the wordsmith here, but that was good. Uh, um, but yeah, so so that's kind of our sack recap. I think we'll be revisiting this on a weekly basis at this point. There are plenty more managers who are in trouble right now, so I'm sure we'll get to them shortly. Absolutely. And so for, for today's episode, we're going to kind of change the format up a bit. Uh, we're going to test the new layout. Um, and what I mean by that is we're going to, instead of recapping matches and previewing matches in depth we're going to instead go team by team through the table from the top to the bottom uh, and just recap kind of the current form and the current place that each team is at we we have done this in the past but um, kind of a, a revisiting of old old tricks and trades uh, from there we will hop into uh, recapping our predictions we made a few weeks ago uh, and then going into predictions for this upcoming weekend finishing it off with your microphone moment, armchair pundits, and 10 in 90. So without any further ado, Adam, do you want to start us off at the top of the table with Liverpool? Yeah, let's get right into it. We just touched on this uh, this one for the Merseyside Derby. Liverpool are very, very comfortable at the top of the league right now. They have played 15 games. They've won 14 of them, and that sole draw that they have was against Manchester United. So right now they have 43 points from their opening 15 games. What a start to the season for Liverpool. Um, They have a very tough run of fixtures only in terms of the frequency of games that they have coming up. The Brighton game that they just won recently um, 2-1, that was their uh, first game of a run of 11 games in 34 days. So going to be a tough, tough few next few weeks for Liverpool. Yeah, it's an insane fixture list for them. And and that comes in the form of not just Premier League, but Champions League, the beginning of FA Cup. Uh, I think they have a League Cup game somewhere in there, if I'm not mistaken. Um, And then they actually also travel to the Middle East for the FIFA Club World Cup, which is one of the, you know, most undesirable 
competitions that could possibly exist. Uh, so I, it's going to be a big test for Liverpool, and I, I think that this match against Everton did show that they do have that depth that they can rotate the squad. They have a manager in Klopp who has a lot of faith in really all of the players on that team, and he, he's been there long enough that it's a team that uh, he has pretty much created. So uh, I'm not too worried about Liverpool besides, you know, obviously fatigue and a possible injury that comes with that. Yeah, speaking of injuries, Fabinho's out for eight weeks. I think that one might be a, a tough one for them to deal with. Um, and then the other thing that I would say is a concern right now for Liverpool is they haven't had a clean sheet in 12 Premier League games. They're struggling to really kind of keep that same defensive stoutness that they had last season. Uh, Van Dijk obviously has been scoring some goals, um, but they haven't really been able to keep the opposition out pretty consistently now for a dozen games. Yeah, I, that that is a bit of a concern. You're right. They they have been kind of uh, they have been kind of, I guess you could say scrapping victories recently. Um, you know they they have had those matches of one nil wins or two one wins, as you said recently. Not a lot of clean sheets. I mean that being said though, um, Liverpool does have uh, currently the. They now, as of today, actually have the the record for the. Uh, the Liverpool club record for longest top flight unbeaten run. Uh, now with their win against Everton, they have gone 32 matches in the Premier League without losing. Uh, their last loss obviously coming at the hands of Manchester City last season, which was their only loss of the campaign. So just a wildly impressive statistic about how dominant Liverpool has been. Yeah, that's a great stat. I didn't know it was that many games at this point. I mean, do, do you personally, as a, as a Leicester fan who we'll get to in a second, feel like we might be done in the Premier League? Do you think this is all over? Is it a unassailable lead that they have at this point? I, I mean, it's it's an eight-point lead over second place. Leicester, uh, do I think it's unassailable? I No, because as we have talked about, Liverpool has come close to dropping points a number of times this season, despite the fact that they've only had one draw. Um, that being said, I do think it's an uphill climb for anybody. Uh, you know, Liverpool's they've beaten City, they've beaten Leicester. Uh, they they've shown that they can really you know punch uh, punch with anybody in the league, and I think that the, it would be difficult to think that they have any they they would need any more confidence right now. Um, like it seems like everyone on their team is playing to the top of their abilities. So. Um, yeah, I, I think it would be tough, but but going on to Leicester, Leicester in second place, uh, eight points back of Liverpool, have been continuing to find this unbelievable van of form. They won again today uh, away at or at home, excuse me, against Watford, a, a pretty comfortable two nil win uh, with Vardy and Madison on the score sheet, and yeah, they just continue to play this incredibly entertaining style of football and something that does really seem in that mold that Liverpool has created. Yeah, 12 wins from 13 now for Leicester. You mentioned it. They're playing really, really well and look to be the biggest threat, I would say, at this point to Liverpool's dominance in the Premier League currently. So looking looking at kind of the, the recent games that they've been playing, it's good to see Ian Nacho coming through. He's somebody they spent a decent chunk of money on in the summer. Ihianacho himself grabbed the winner. Uh, I I don't know if you know this as a stat. The Ihi it's really hard to say that one. Ihianacho was the gentleman in January of 2018 who scored the first ever VAR approved goal. So a decision that was overturned in his favor that allowed his goal to stand. And he came up with another VAR magic moment in the 96th minute last weekend. I did not know that. That's uh <laughs> that's that sounds like a a real like 
you know, five years from now, British trivia question that you'd hear in a pub. But um, yeah, that that was that was a huge moment in that match with uh, Leicester and Everton. It did seem like both teams were going to get a, a fair share of the spoils. And as you said, you know, Ianacho's goal ruled offsides, but uh, VAR showing that he was clearly on, and it was a, a really nice finish from the substitute and a man that does provide them with such a boost off the bench. The ability to put him on and have him either complement or replace. Vardy with uh, certainly not equal pace, but but definitely some spring in his step is a really vital part of keeping that team running. Yeah, they've got some good strength and depth there, and it's nice to be able to bring a player in like him that can, can potentially contribute for Leicester. So nice to see them doing well. Rogers, huge kudos to him. I mean, in terms of expectations versus reality, he's doing a fantastic job this year. Yeah, I, I definitely continue to hold the belief that they're outperforming their uh, uh, championship winning season a few years ago with just with with the level of talent that they have and the level of competition the fact that they're eight points back of liverpool and ahead of man city is pretty remarkable um and man city kind of talking about a club that has had this issue as you said replacing players and having players fill in with one another sergio aguero has had you know bouts of injury this season and uh gabriel jesus has just not really been that replacement that they've been looking for yeah he scored a couple of goals this week but i would agree yeah it was zero in eight for him before he bagged his brace against Burnley yesterday. So I agree. He's he's definitely not a patch on Sergio Aguero, not somebody who I think that can really come in and really do as good a job as, as he does. But, you know, the strength and depth, I think, for City is not really a concern going forward. I think it's again at the back. Uh, Fernandinho, we talked about, praised him a couple weeks ago, but he got found out against Newcastle, who we'll get to a little bit later. Um, and Man City, I think, are, you know, 11 points behind Liverpool. Pool now. All the pundits have them officially ruled out in the title race. Do you, do you think that's a fair assessment? Yeah, I, I don't think Manchester City is going to make a title run this year. That, I, that being said, around this same time last season, they were around what they were eight points back, nine points back of Liverpool, and they were able to to kind of make that run and, and win that title. Uh, um, on on the final week, so it, it's tough to fully rule them out, but it does seem like a different kind of scenario as to last year. I know that you and I have talked a lot about the uh, injury to Laporte being a huge part of it, losing company. Company's um, the big one for me. Yeah, I think I think you know just in terms of the situation last year versus this year, I think company's the big one. Yeah, I think so. I think losing that leadership and losing that that man who knows how to lead them to a to multiple titles in the Premier League is big. Uh, and yeah, it, it does seem like it does seem like Pep Guardiola is is kind of I, I wouldn't say being out coached, but he certainly is at a loss of a plan B. Um, and, and that was on display against Newcastle last weekend. Like there there wasn't really ever a time in that game when it looked like Man City was gonna boss it and put three or four past Newcastle. Like it it always seemed like they were in a fighter's chance and they ended up being able to get a draw out of that. And I think that speaks pretty poorly to, you know, the regression that Man City has made this season. Yeah, I think that's a great, great assessment. You think about games that they've lost as well. They've already lost three games so far this season, Manchester City. And then when you look at Liverpool, I mean Liverpool lost one game last season and haven't won lost one this season already. So just goes to show the remarkable form Liverpool are in and just how tough it will be for anybody to catch them. 
It will be. Um, and yeah, so so to round out the top four, uh, going to fourth place, Chelsea. So Chelsea's sitting three points back of Manchester City. Um, that being said, six points back of fifth or six points ahead of six, fifth place Wolves. So kind of in a comfortable spot, Chelsea. And they they got a much needed win after after dropping two in a row in kind of um auspicious fashion uh, Chelsea getting a, a 2-1 win at home against Villa on Wednesday uh, Tammy Abraham back in the team after being injured uh, against Bournemouth so that was big for them he got back on the score sheet getting an assist as well uh, and Chelsea I think continues to find this vein of form with with their youngsters and are, are gelling in a pretty impressive way yeah I think you know great point the youngsters are continuing to perform and uh, you mentioned it just now Tammy Abraham actually it was the, the home game against West Ham uh, where he he missed out and Giroud came in in his place. Yes, you're right. Um, but great, great to have him back in the team. You know, they didn't look quite as sharp up top without him. There were some chances created but missed by Mount and Pulisic in that game against West Ham um, where they failed to score for the first time since the first game in the season uh, against Manchester United, United when they lost 4-0. So good to see him back. Good to see Chelsea scoring goals again. He had a goal and assist today um, again in that win against Villa. So uh, I feel like Chelsea are... You know, any blips that they have from this point on will probably be moment momentary blips. I think that Lampard's been doing a great job and, and has them playing some really good, attractive football. So I'll ask you this. Uh, is Lampard, would you say he would be in the conversation for manager of the year? Absolutely. I think he has to be. Um, there, there's so many people, I think, that you could make a case for right now. Looking at the top four, I think the only one that you could say that you probably wouldn't give it to uh, is Pep. Uh, Pep, yeah, Pep Guardiola would be the only one of the top four where you wouldn't say that he's really overperformed on expectations. So, yeah, I think why not? Lampard didn't have any money to spend in the summer, and he really kind of went with youth and you know relied on the players, some of the players that he had when he was at Derby, um, and, and it's paid dividends for him. Yeah, I think that'll be a cool discussion to follow throughout the season. Uh, I really, I, I mean, looking at the table, like anybody in the top five besides Pep, I think that Nuno has exceeded even the expectations he set last year in his, in, you know, great year for first year in the Premier League. So it will it will be exciting to to kind of keep an eye on that and and going on to Wolves in fifth place, uh, getting another win and keeping this unbeaten form that they have again scrapping out results. I know I'm saying that about number of teams, but a good two nil win for Wolves today against West Ham, who West Ham, uh, you know, coming off a, a win that was much overdue for them uh, against Chelsea. So big win for Wolves, uh, goal from Den Donker at uh, the center back. I think that he, he has really shown uh, a lot of a lot of talent in that Wolves back line, especially from the, the beginning of the season where they kind of looked a bit shaky. But yeah, Wolves back up to fifth after it seemed like they were near the relegation zone just a number of weeks ago. Yeah, and they're doing all of this as well with playing in the Europa League. So credit to Nuno Espirito Santo. They were drawing a lot of games early on in the season. Weren't really losing them. We're drawing a lot of games. In fact, they've actually lost less games than Manchester City in the league, um, even though they're down there in fifth. So I think, you know, they've, they've really started to hit some form right now. Jimenez has been in fantastic form. Um, got an assist today, got an assist at the weekend. Um, and I think that, you know, they're, they're a team that is definitely on the up. Um, what do you think the limit is for them this season? Do you think they could potentially crack the top four? Um, that's a, that's a good question. I think they could, I don't think they will. I think fifth would be a really phenomenal finish for them. Um, I, I really do think that they should go after the Europa league though. I think that's their only chance at qualification for the champions league. 
Yeah, I think you know that's a good, that's a good point. So why not though, right? They're, they're they've been pretty comfortable in their group. So yeah, I think the Wolves, you know, have a strong team, a little bit more depth than they had last season. So uh, why not? Why not Wolves? So I guess then then going outside the top five to to number six, Manchester United, two points back of Wolves. What do you think the the ceiling for Man U is? Like what what do you? Or maybe I'll rephrase that because they're such an unpredictable team. But what do you? What do you think the path that they follow for the next month, month and a half is? Because Man United now with uh, you know unbeaten in four, with two two wins in those four games, they they got a massive win today, uh, or rather yesterday against Tottenham. I would say the biggest result of the day for sure. So so how how do you think Man U is shaping up right now? Because they do seem to be kind of settling down a bit. Yeah, looking at the kind of runs that they've had, although you know they have had some decent recent results, the run that Solskjaer has been on recently was a worse run of form than the one that got Mourinho fired from that position last season. So I think you know there's definitely plenty of Solskjaer critics out there. I feel like every weekend we're talking about it being a must-win game for him in terms of being able to you know have the confidence of the fans to continue to deliver in that position as manager of such a big club as Manchester United. Um, so I, I think that, you know, when, in answer to your question, I think that they've got to be still aiming top four. They have to be looking above them and thinking that Chelsea are catchable. Uh, whether or not that will happen remains to be seen, but they've definitely started scoring a lot more goals and looking a little bit more convincing from up top. Um, I think Rashford's in great form. The one place where I would say maybe they still need to work, and it just goes to show they've got a, a manager who, who used to be a forward himself. Defensively, they're just looking shaky, and Maguire's been getting some stick in the press recently. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, Rashford has found that vein of form. He got, he got both goals today against, or excuse me, I keep saying this, yesterday against Spurs. Um, but you're right, it, it does seem like earlier in the season they were having a ton of issues when Rashford wasn't scoring, when Mar- Martial wasn't playing. And so it, it does seem like kind of this temperamental form that they're in. Uh, I agree they have to be aiming for top four. Even if they don't think they're going to actually get it, that has to be the aim for a club that's so esteemed and so storied like Man United. Um, but yeah, they, they do seem to be finding some form. They have a better goal differential than Wolves, which could kind of play in as the season progresses. Um, but it, it is, it's good for, for Man United that they've finally gone unbeaten. In four, unfortunately, the match this weekend, Manchester City. Oh, going to be an awesome one to watch. Um, very excited for that one. Those Manchester derbies are always pretty tasty affairs. Um, so it's going to be, we'll get to our predictions probably a little bit later on here in the pod, but uh, that's going to be a really hard game for me. Absolutely. Um, and so so from Man U, we go to Crystal Palace, which is a team that is is still kind of surprising to see as high as they are sitting in seventh. They have a negative, or a, excuse me, a minus four goal differential. Um, so they're the only team uh, besides Arsenal in the top 10 that have a, a, a negative goal differential. But uh, Crystal Palace continuing to get wins, a 1-0 win against Bournemouth yesterday, despite the fact that Palace got a red card um, through Sacco in the uh, 19th minute, so had to go about 70 minutes uh, down a man, but Palace and Hodgson continue to grind it out. Hodgson is another manager that's been really, really impressive this season. Yeah, he's done a spectacular job for them, and they've just come off the back of a really tough run of fixtures, and I think that, you know, their, their really fantastic form is kind of returned now to them now that they're playing some 
games against winnable or winnable games against teams around them, I should say. And a big part of that, I think, has been Wilfred Zaha. He's been back on the score sheet consistently. He's looking dangerous as he goes forward. And he's got that kind of pep in his step from last season that he seemed to have where he was terrorizing defenses. And, and then, you know, people were pretty scared to bring him down. He hasn't been winning penalties, but I would say it's just a matter of time before he's contributing in that vein as well. Certainly, and in Watford, or excuse me, Palace, as you said, kind of coming into a, a much better list of fixtures. The next three matches: Watford, Brighton, and Newcastle. So those are all games that, if I was a Palace supporter or a Palace player, I'd be looking for three points across the board. You'd hope so, but you know, Newcastle always a tough prospect, Zach. That's true. That's true. Um, so from a team wildly overachieving at the moment to a team that's still kind of sitting at a place that's a bit below where they'd hope to be, uh, Spurs finally, since the, the return of the chosen one, kind of being brought down to earth, uh, losing at Manchester United, as we mentioned. It's Jose Marino's first loss as a, a Tottenham Hotspur manager. Uh, what do you think of the state of, of Tottenham right now, especially with the return in form of Dele Alley? I think they're playing really, really well. Um, it's been quite surprising. I think you and I were alluding to this earlier. You know, it's, you'd expect a Mourinho side to park the bus to be very strong defensively. That hasn't been the case. They've been leaking goals, two goals pretty consistently each game that he's he's played now for or he's managed I should say for Mourinho but then on the other side of that coin you don't really expect a ton of goals from a Mourinho team and they've been pretty free scoring Son's in great form Dali Alley as you mentioned is probably you make a case for him being the top player in the Premier League right now um, and he's just in great form I think four goals in three games for Alley so what would you attribute the the uptick in form of Alley to do you think that Mourinho is just starting to get the best out of him? I think so. I think that Mourinho is really uh, the manager that Deli Alley needs right now. He's still a quite young player. People forget um, because he burst onto the scene a number of years ago, uh, both uh, in club football and internationally. But I think that he Deli Alley kind of lost his way a little bit towards the end of that um, reign that Maurizio Pochettino had. Uh, it seemed as though Pochettino wasn't really the man to discipline Alley, and I know that a lot of uh, Players and pundits alike have, have kind of pointed at Ali's personality and, and uh, as being maybe a bit of a friction point. Uh, and I think he needs somebody like Jose Mourinho that is willing to just like, you know, tell it how it is, as they say, um, and be very, very straight and very blunt with him and just ex say, I expect more out of you uh, and I expect better performances. And I think that's the best way to maximize uh, the impact that Dele Alley has on this Tottenham Hotspur lineup. Yeah, I think it's a great point. Um, I was looking earlier on and um, it was interesting that um, Alley came out in the press after the Manchester United defeat and says it was a combination of arrogance and overconfidence that caused Spurs to lose at Manchester United today. So I thought that was an interesting quote. He basically said, we had to match their energy and we didn't. And we came in there and thought they were hungry enough and, and found out that they weren't. So, Yeah, I, th I think it's a good wake-up call for Spurs. Um, I think uh, of the games to lose in the Karmic Fixers, this isn't the most you know, it, this is an all right match for Tottenham Hotspur to lose because it, it does kind of give them that splash of cold water. It might end that uh, traditional, you know, new manager bounce of a few games of feeling invincible. Um, and it definitely gets them back down to, you know, back into the training ground and back to hard work because I, I think that Tottenham knows that they can be pushing a lot higher than eighth. And this will be maybe maybe the 
you know, the, the spark that lights the fire under them. Yep, great point. So moving on to, to ninth, Sheffield United. Sheffield United still relatively, I would say, overperforming in the league compared to where we expected them to be. They're on 19 points right now, so pretty much halfway to safety after 14 games, and they have the game tonight against Newcastle to come. Um, any any more superlatives you want to throw out there about Chris Wilder? Now, Chris Wilder has done a really, really remarkable job, and I, I think that even though they have had this recent dip in form, where they haven't, you know, they've drawn their last three matches, they still haven't lost in their last five matches, and it, I think that that's such an important thing, especially for a new manager to do, is is damage control really, and and Chris Wilder has been able to do that. He's been able to keep his team disciplined and keep really the shape and the faith in what they're doing, uh, and I think that he, you know. Talk about exceeding expectations. You and I both had them, you know, firmly, firmly coming in in dead last this season. So the fa- the fact that it it really seems like they are getting you know getting pretty close to being comfortable in the Premier League is is something remarkable to say. Uh, just 15 matches into the season. Yeah, I think a, a big part of that in recent games has been Liz Mousset. Um He's a basically, if you're not not familiar with him, an under 21 striker for. France, who is 21 years of age and is getting rumors about being called up to the full France squad. He's scored four goals in six games now. Uh, looks looks to be a great find for them that they broke their club record of 10 million British pounds for. Yeah, he he has he was one of the few additions this past summer uh, at Sheffield United um, and has really fit into their system quite well and provides them with a little bit more energy and a little bit more excitement going forward. Uh, so yeah, at Sheffield United, you know, not not too much more to say, but very very impressive form that they're in. Yeah, I agree. So rounding out the top ten, um, <laughs> so you'd say kind of last place of the top half. Um, wouldn't expect to see them here, but there they are, Arsenal. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So Arsenal a complete mess right now. Um, uh, Emery Ball clearly did not work. They're on to Freddie Youngberg Ball going with uh, another Northern European club legend from a, uh, a manager from the Iberian Peninsula. So fo- following right in the footsteps of Manchester United last season. Um, and uh, Arsenal, again, uh, they play today against Brighton. Um, and so, you know, depending on the results of this match, you know, with a win, they, they could go as high as six in the table just due to how tight the, the table is right now. So um, certainly, you know, certainly uh, n- not going to write them out entirely yet, but it, it has been just a really, really poor start to the season across the board for them. Yeah, they need to figure it out defensively, and they need to figure it out really quickly. You know, they've got two great strikers who we've talked about ad nauseum, um, just incredible strikers in Aubameyang and Lacazette. But defensively, nobody is scared to go at Arsenal anymore. They're, nobody is scared to really attack that back line because they know that they're weak back there. And, you know, I think in recent weeks they've seen we've seen that. David Luiz is not the answer at center back. They need to invest in January, no matter who that manager is. They need to make sure they're putting some money into that defense. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, they spent so much money in the summer. Uh, again, getting getting people like Pepe for, for such a large sum of money. And it, it just, you know, from the off, just from a casual fan of the game you're like what are you what are you trying to do here goals clearly aren't the issue um and the defensive line has not been improved at all uh it's it's i i don't know what the expectation would be for arsenal now like top 
what top six i guess that would like europa league qualification maybe they they'll probably do the typical arsenal thing and make the fa cup final that's the ceiling and that's probably the goal for them i would say you know europa league getting into europe again because let's be honest they're they're perennial europa league qualifiers at this point in the, in the premier league season you know it's been a couple of years now that they've been in that competition and they don't look any closer to getting back to the champions league if if not far further away from it than they have been in previous seasons Drifting further and further away is is Arsenal Football Club. Um, and so with that, we, we've wrapped up the, the top half of the table. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and then we're going to jump back into the bottom half of the table and then move on to our uh, final sections. Great. So, so coming right back with the, the false nines, uh, we're going to jump into the bottom half of the table and in 11th sits Burnley Football Club. Uh, so Burnley, the darlings of two seasons ago, fell on hard times last season and hard times again so far this season, sitting mid-table in, again, what's what's a very tight mid-table, uh, but another loss yesterday, uh, this one coming at the hands of Man City, and it was a true and tr- genuine trouncing that the citizens gave Burnley in this one. Yeah, they were thoroughly outplayed with some really good quality goals from Man City as well in terms of the finish is but again i think the concern here for burnley is at the back defensively they are not looking good ben me has been in bad form he gave away a really bad goal in that game against manchester city and they're just so inconsistent burnley makes them really hard to predict just when you think that they're you know uh you know sean dyche might be on the ropes as the manager they pull out these great three nil victories uh but but definitely a team that you know I would say is is probably on a downturn versus necessarily looking looking higher up the league. Yeah, Burnley is kind of it does seem like they're they're starting the first acts of a bit of a tailspin right now. They have a, they have a bottom a defense that is let in uh, you know the the eighth worst goals in the or eighth most goals in the Premier League. So yeah, as you said, you know that's something that Sean Dyche is known to go from strength to strength on is uh, the defense. Uh, a few years back, we were talking about James Tarkovsky, Ben Mee, both being potential England center backs, and it just it hasn't been the case this year. They've been getting outrun um, at defense. Their their midfield has really, really lacked. Uh, I, I would say the, the the players that have kind of shined in my mind were Ashley Wood and, and or, uh, excuse me, Chris Wood and Ashley Barnes. Um, and then McNeil as well on the wing has had a number of good games for them. But yeah, the, the defense has been very, very lackluster recently. Yeah, it's it's been unshawn dice like I would say. Not not a lot more to say on, on my end about Burnley. Just again, a, t- a tough team to predict. They'll probably do enough to be safe this year. Um, they usually find a way just with, with Dyche as their manager. But not somebody I think that will necessarily be um, pushing into the into the top half of the table anytime soon. No, I, I agree with that. Um, and so, so from 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 Burnley to Bournemouth, a, a battle of the bees right now in the in the middle of the table. Bournemouth really, really talk about poor form. Uh, the only team in the Premier League to have lost all four of their last four matches. Uh, they lost again yesterday, as I said, a really really tough one nil loss after going up a man just 19 minutes into the match, unable to even get a goal. So just really really damning performance and. 
And it, it just seems as though the goals have dried up with, with Callum Wilson and Joshua King, two players who, you know, at times I remember you said, Adam, was probably your your favorite strike partnership in the Premier League. What's gone wrong at Bournemouth? It's 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 unbelievable. I, I don't really know. I don't have a good answer for it. Um, it, it, do you think it's fair to say that Eddie Howe is a, a manager under the microscope right now? Yeah, I think that uh, Eddie Howe's hot seat is getting just a bit hotter day by day. Um, I, I, it's tough because you know you, you've mentioned in the past he is still in this stage of being a darling of Bournemouth, having only retired a, a handful of years ago and, and having spent so much of his career there. But it does seem like they're lacking creativity, they're lacking that cutting edge, and the depth in the club or the lack thereof is, is certainly evident in their recent performances. Yeah, it's it's not been great recently, and they're definitely like you said, one win in eleven games in the Premier League right now. That only win. A sole 1-0 win against Manchester United, but they've looked really poor. The goals are drying up. Defensively, there's always been concerns there. Harry Wilson, they need to start him a little bit more because he bagged two off the bench on Saturday. I think, you know, big fan of the King of Corwin, as you know. But I, I just think that, you know, they're they're not playing to the level that they need to be right now. They need to buck up their ideas real soon. It's true. Um, it's true. So, so I'll ask you this then: um, if we're if we're going in order right now, from Burnley to Bournemouth to now thirteenth place West Ham, uh, where would you rank the the hot the the heat of the seats of the three managers of those three respective clubs? I think going into thirteenth with West Ham, Pellegrini has to be top of that list. Um, I think you know in Howe and in Dice, you have people who have been in their roles for for quite some time, so they've earned themselves a little bit of a grace period but Pellegrini as we move into West Ham in 13th is somebody who I think you know is going to be under a lot of pressure you look at the investment that West Ham have had in recent years they've had a ton more money spent on their team than Burnley and Bournemouth have and I think that the expectations are higher as a result um, they, they had a great win over the weekend at Chelsea um, but came back to losing ways this week again what do you make of West Ham's season so far would you say it's been a a disappointment or would you say that they're about where they should be yeah it's absolutely a disappointment i mean west ham have scored less goals than bournemouth has they've scored 17 to, to bournemouth's 18 goals and as you said the level of investment they had buying sebastian alaire who who got dropped to the bench uh multiple times in the past few weeks i mean to, to break your your club transfer record and then not have that striker starting is is a pretty shocking thing to see um i yeah, I think the expectations have to be top 10, if not top 8 for West Ham. Um, they've shown flashes of that. They, they've they shown that they can really hang with the big dogs. Beating Chelsea uh, last week it was definitely an example of that. But it, it has been a very weird season for them. Um, and, I mean, really... Another thing, actually, I'm curious about your opinion on it. Do you think that West Ham playing in London adds to the pressure on their shoulders? That's a good point. I think, you know, there, yeah. there's definitely a lot more pressure on the London clubs in terms of the expectations there with it being the capital of England. Um, 
it's a great point. And I, and I do think, you know, as a result, it attracts some of the top players to those teams. You look at, you know, long before I think um, you were necessarily watching Newcastle with Faustino Asprio when he signed for Newcastle. Um, he, he didn't know where Newcastle was. Like, he was very aware of all of the London teams. Um, and I think they actually tricked him to, on coming up to, to talk to Newcastle and then brought him in and managed to convince him to come in there. <laughs> <laughs> but West Ham, you know, and any of those London teams, they just have a bigger draw as London-based teams for especially players coming from, from abroad. Yeah, so West Ham actually the only London team currently sitting in the bottom half of the table. So an, an interesting thing to see them kind of growing this distance from their their next door neighbors. And I agree. I think that the leash for Pellegrini is getting shorter and shorter as we go on. Yeah, quick uh, quick shout out as well from for West Ham, David Martin. Great story for this one. Um, so he's the son of Alvin Martin, who is a huge West Ham legend. Um, he actually got to make his Premier League debut in goal after Roberto was dropped at the age of 33 years old. Bit of a journeyman goalkeeper. Uh, came in with his dad in the stands and kept a clean sheet um, at Stamford Bridge. So great job for Mr. David Martin, who's earning Adam's stamp of approval for the week. Yeah, that that's a fantastic story uh, to see him make his debut for for his boyhood club like that, and um, from from a player making his debut at his boyhood club to a manager trying to steer the ship correctly for his boyhood club, we go on to Newcastle. What a segue! What a segue, Zach. Great job. I uh, you know I always try to tie Steve Bruce into everything I say. Um, so Newcastle. Uh, now uh, coming off uh, a, a really, really, really impressive draw on the weekend against Manchester City uh, and then a game against Sheffield United uh, that will have concluded by the time this pod uh, is live. But um, that, that draw on the weekend was really a phenomenal result for the tune, capped off by uh, one of the goals of the season by, by Shelby, I would say. John Joe Shelby, top scorer for Newcastle with three goals. Yeah, cracking strike from him um, and great awareness from Atsu to play the ball back to him for the goal. In addition to that, we saw our first assist from Mickey Almiron. The goal is coming, Zach. He's here. He's here to stay. Uh, I So, I, as you know, I, I need to have some sort of a cynical outlook on Newcastle, regardless of the result. I would still argue that Mickey Almiron being played on the right wing is the only reason that he hasn't scored a goal yet like it frustrates me to no end despite the assists that he had largely being due to his positioning on the right side of the field um uh and actually him cutting over all the way to the left to get that ball it, it has been frustrating for me to see him kind of wasting away at times but yes in, in the positive realm it was great to see him get on uh the stat sheet in some regard yeah really really good to see him uh, get his first assist i think another player who's been impressing me so far this season is jethro willems coming in um, and really making that wingback position his own uh, i think for listeners that aren't really familiar with willems too much um, he's actually one of the players that we got on loan in the in the summer, so he's not a permanent transfer. Right now, he's available with Eintracht Frankfurt. We have a deal to get him for 11 million euros. I'm I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this, but would you take him at this point? 
Yeah, certainly, certainly would. Uh, he does provide that kind of modern attacking fullback uh, that that you need in the Premier League nowadays. And getting that goal against Manchester City was evidence of that. He was in the box, uh, in and around the box, really the whole game, and and hasn't seemed to kind of drop any of his defensive duties as he goes forward. So um, yeah, I've been very, very impressed with him. And yeah, hopefully his his good vein of form continues on the weekend. Uh, Newcastle, as I said playing Sheffield United, um, and then on the weekend, uh, it, it gets uh, a bit more tricky, I would say, with Newcastle playing Southampton, not necessarily playing a better club, but when you're playing a team that's in and around the relegation zone, there always is that added kind of element of, of tension between the two. Yeah, agree. It's going to be a real relegation six-pointer, we like to call them, um, but I, I think that that's definitely going to be a game that Newcastle will be targeting as a as a must-win for them. Southampton in good form, though. We'll get to them here shortly. Yeah, absolutely. And so Villa sitting in 15th right below Newcastle, um, although having lost in, in their last match, um, as I mentioned before, uh, that was at the hands of Chelsea. Uh, with the return of Jack Grealish from injury, uh, they have really been reinvigorated. They had that, like, what was an a really comfortable 2-0 win at home against Newcastle last week and then uh, getting the draw on the weekend uh, before the loss to Chelsea, that draw coming up against Manchester United where Grealish scored a gorgeous curler into the back post. He is really the, he's really the cog that makes the machine tick. Yeah. He's the talisman for Villa for sure. And I think, you know, they had a little bit of a downtick in form recently. And I think, you know, that was during the time that Grealish was out injured. Unfortunately, him coming back into the team coincided with them playing against Newcastle. And he was a real reason why I think that we, for the most part, lost that game. He, he won the two free kicks that led to the two goals. And, um, you know, great player to have in your team and so nice to have a homegrown player captaining his boyhood team yeah he has he looked great i mean the question though becomes like how much longer will he be captaining his boyhood t- club because you know that like you know that in the summer there is going to be a lot of interest from from the larger fish in the pond oh, i don't think he's going anywhere i think if he was going anywhere he would have gone already by now he had opportunities to to come up to a premier league team when he was down there in the championship and he stayed really? at villa really? because he said he wanted to take villa back up to the premier league where they belong um so i i think that grealish is at villa to stay so long as they stay in the premier league i think if they were to go down having had a taste of premier league football again um, I think that it might be tough to convince him to stay, but I think I don't think he's necessarily concerned about playing for a top six team at this point in his career. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah, that's hmm. okay. I, I like that. I would like to see some loyalty in in the modern game, and maybe. Maybe, maybe Grealish can be that man. Uh, so so to jump on the 16th uh, in the table, we have Brighton. So Brighton also in a, in a pretty poor run of form. They've lost their last three matches. Um, they are, are playing Arsenal again, that uh, match happening today. Um, but yeah, it really, again, talk about a club where goals have dried up. 16 goals on the season for, for Brighton and um, just not doing themselves a lot of favors right now. No, but surprisingly enough, Graham Potter earned himself a new contract. So they're obviously happy in general with how he's been doing. I think the expectations for them were just to avoid relegation. And I think that they've started to look like a better attacking team. I think they're necessarily have been the goals recently but there have been a lot of attacking plays they had 55 percent possession 
at Anfield. I think that tells you a lot about the way that Brighton are playing right now. They just need to convert those chances that they're creating. Certainly, yeah. I, it's it's tough to say that a club one point outside the relegation zone shouldn't feel terribly worried, but I, I do think that Brighton can get those results. As you said, I mean, the possession away at Anfield um, was was pretty pretty impressive uh, for them, and that, you know, a lot of their losses recently have come in those one goal margins. It was uh, a one goal loss against uh, Leicester last weekend, and then uh, one goal lost away at Man or excuse me a. Uh, 2-0 loss to Leicester, but Leicester's a tough one. Um, Losing to Man United by two. It's not getting blown out and kind of keeping those scores under control has been big for them. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. So transitioning into 17th, um, just one place above the relegation spots, after two successive wins are Southampton. Um, They've been in great form recently, and the, the gentleman that's been really kind of like pushing them on and has been in good form himself has been Mr. Danny Ings. Danny Ings of all people really serve, serving the uh, the goal scoring prowess that everyone had briefly hoped he would at, at Liverpool before it became all too clear that that was not going to happen. But yeah, it's it's been wild to see his reemergence in the Premier League. I know I think I think you may have listed him as a player who has stolen a career so far at some point this season, but really make really making that uh that thievery worth it for southampton yeah he's 27 years old he's in the prime of his career so um somebody who didn't cut it at liverpool who has now gone to southampton and i'd say he's pretty much single-handedly keeping ralph hasenhutl in a job at this point um an interesting stat for southampton in that game where they won at home to watford it was the second time in 44 league games in the premier league that they've actually been behind at halftime and gone on to win that game that's pretty damn good to hear. I mean, that's that's a great sign. I, I'd say, though, the only issue with Southampton is uh, their goal differential. Minus 16 tied with Norwich for the second worst in the Premier League. So you have eight. Yeah, you you have eight, exactly. You have Ing scoring the goals, but you have nobody stopping the goals from going in. Yeah, they've looked a little bit better since um, they brought Alex McCarthy in. After that 9-0 loss, Angus Gunn um, was dropped as goalkeeper, and Alex McCarthy has come in, and they've seemed a little bit better with his leadership at the back. That is true. Um so we're we're now uh, into the the bottom three, so the the dreaded positions in the table. Uh, and in 18th, Everton, uh, just such a sad, sad state of affairs on Mersey's side. Uh, as as we said, you know, Marco Silva, it looks like it's all but done for him right now. Uh, rightly so, he's done really nothing with that club, um, and it's 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 just tough. It's, it's tough to rationalize what's going on at Everton. It really is tough to figure out why they are as bad as they are right now. I think they've, I think that Silva's lost the dressing room is basically where I think it is. Um, and, and I would ask this. I mean, let's not spend too much time on talking about Silva here. Let's talk about what's next. Who do you think comes in? Like, where do Everton go from here? Are they going to be looking to bring in Allardyce again? Are they going to be looking to bring in, like, a, a manager of that same caliber, a la a Hewton or somebody like that? Or do, do they really have the draw that they can pull in a top-class manager, perhaps from abroad? I... I, I don't think they have that draw. I, I don't think at the moment they do. And but you're right, it is a tricky position because if you're if you're gonna sign a Hute and if you're gonna sign a an Allardyce um one of those managers, you're all but saying to your fans, we're just trying to avoid relegation. 
Um, and you you can't be doing that if you're Everton, considering the money that they've spent, considering the you know relative success that they've had in, in the past few years, relative success more so meaning just comfortability. But yeah, I, I think it's tough. I don't think you're going to draw in one of the top, top managers. And uh, there's not a ton of gray area between the relegation managers and the, you know, Pochettino, Allegri, Benitez type managers. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I will say that, you know, looking at them in 18th with the talent that they have in that team, there's a lot of upside there if you're a manager that wants a good challenge. You know, you've got some great players at Everton, um, some great talent that can be leveraged if you're the right type of manager to come in there. You mentioned Pochettino. Do you think there's any way he might consider it? No, I, I don't think. No, I don't think Pochettino would make that move. I don't. I don't think Pochettino is gonna do anything until the summer. To be honest with you, um, I think. I think Tottenham was exhausting for him, and I think he's gonna take some time away from the game. But you're right. There, there's a lot of talent. Richarlison just signed a, an extension on his contract, keeping him at Everton until 2024. So they do seem to want to be investing in that team. But you're right. The, the question mark is what. What is next for them? Yeah, it's gonna be interesting. Um, and interesting to see this team as well down in 19th. Somebody who I tip to survive the season is Norwich City. Team Upuki scored two and two after a really barren run of form for them. Um, and I think that, you know, the fact that they're scoring goals again will really please Daniel Fark. Um, Todd Cantwell um, is somebody who I've been really keeping a close eye on, has, has been in good form and has got two goals in recent games as well. Norwich, a little bit of an upturn in form, and they'd probably be disappointed with that kind of relegation six-pointer loss at Southampton today, though. Yeah, that, that was definitely, definitely a bad loss. And that's the thing in Norwich is they've had a number of those those games where it it has been a you know a must win. The the one against Watford comes to mind immediately where Watford got their first win of the season against Norwich. And I, I do think that that's the concerning thing is the inability to beat the teams in and around the table. They beat Everton. They did beat Everton, so that 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 is true. And Everton maybe may on the final day, that's what sends Everton down. <laughs> it would be interesting to see, right? That'd be unbelievable. Uh, so to round out the table, then with with that last club, uh, we have Watford still sitting uh, in twentieth, uh, still having not gotten a win to complement the one they got against Norwich. Um, it's it's been tough to watch Watford. They they lost uh, at Leicester yesterday. It was a two 0 loss, and um, it, it really did seem like it was Leicester's game to lose the entire time. Uh, the goals aren't there. Uh, they still had only team in the Premier League to not break double digits, only nine goals in 15 matches so far, um, whereas they've let up 30, so a, ne- a minus 21 goal differential. Pretty brutal 15 matches into the season. Um, and, yeah, it's going to be tough to see Watford getting out of it. Yeah, and it doesn't get any easier for them. Their next five games, three of those are against Leicester, Liverpool, and Manchester United. So um, you're in the Premier League, Watford. Going to be tough games pretty much every week, and um, we made this call, or I made this call, probably about a month or so ago. I don't think Watford leaves the bottom three all season. They haven't yet, and I don't think they will. Yeah, I certainly could see that coming true. As you said, it doesn't get any easier for them right now. Yep, exactly. You're playing with the big boys, Watford. Time to time to put your big boy pants on and grow up a little bit here. Yeah, that that is uh, that is pretty much where where they are sitting right now. Um, so yeah, that's that's the Premier League table as we stand after 15 matches. Top four: Liverpool, Leicester, Man City, Chelsea. Bottom three: Everton, 
Norwich and Watford. Um, all right, Adam, do you want to quickly run through our predictions for the next match day? Yeah, so um, just a quick recap. First, our first set of predictions were for match day 13 in the Premier League. And unfortunately, we do not have a clear winner at this time. Zach scored three points and I scored three points. Um, we did not pick any of the games exactly correct as of yet. Um, we both went for Spurs and Mourinho's first game in charge for Leicester and for Liverpool as winning teams. Um, so plenty of opportunity for us. Pretty disappointed in my predictions myself. Um, there are a couple of surprises in there, though. Um, so let's get right into it. Next set of match days this weekend. Um, you want to go through predictions? Yeah, so starting with the Saturday games, the early match at Everton hosting Chelsea. Uh, I have Chelsea going away from home, always a challenge, but Everton is probably going to be first first game with a new manager. I, I think Chelsea gets a 2-1 win here. I don't think they keep it clinching because they haven't been able to too much this season. Yeah, you, you make a great point. So it's, it's going to be tough to see or tough to really understand the scope of Everton's success as to whether they have a new manager lined up or not. Um, it'll be interesting to see if that happens in time for this game, especially with it being the early kickoff on Saturday. But I don't know. I just feel like I have a feeling that Everton might sneak a point here. So I'm going to go for a 2-2 draw um, for Everton and Chelsea. All right. Uh, Bournemouth hosting Liverpool. What does that look like to you? That looks like a Liverpool win, my friend. Um, we mentioned it earlier on. Liverpool can't keep a clean sheet. So I'm going to guess 3-1 Liverpool at Bournemouth for this one. Okay, uh, 3-0 Liverpool. I think they keep the clean sheet here. Bournemouth have not been able to score a lot of goals recently, uh, and I think that that issue continues um, when the uh, when the Liverpool side visit um, Bournemouth. That was a brutal sentence for me to get through. <laughs> I, would, I, I would assume this is the case, but Harry, um, uh, the king of Corwin, Harry Wilson is probably not eligible for this game, right, being on loan from Liverpool? He would not be. So, yeah, that's another piece that Bournemouth doesn't have. Yeah, it might, might change my prediction now, but I'll, I'll stick with 3-1 Liverpool. Okay, Spurs hosting Burnley. Does Spurs get back to winning ways? They absolutely do. I think this is a 4-1 Spurs win. I think they're going to knock goals in for fun against this terrible Burnley defense. Um, and I think that it's a 4-1 result, just like Burnley lost um, a couple days ago to Manchester City. Mm. All right. Yeah, I, I think that this one ends the same as the Liverpool-Bournemouth match. I think that Spurs win 3-0 comfortably. Burnley's attacking threat is is kind of fizzling out a little bit, and I think that Spurs will only grow in confidence with this one. Yep, I think that's a, a solid prediction, my friend. Okay, Watford and Palace. So Watford playing at home to Crystal Palace. Watford rooted to the bottom. What, what are your predictions for this? <sighs> um... So as you mentioned before, neither of us really caught on any of the surprise results from last weekend. I'm going to I'm gonna put my, my finger on this match as a surprise result for this weekend. I think that Watford gets their second win of the campaign. I have no idea who the goal will come from, but I, I think that this is a bit of a trap game for Palace. They have been um, you know, playing, playing well recently. As we mentioned, Roy Hodgson's been doing a good job, but I could see this being something where going away from home, they have a bit too much confidence confidence and and Watford understands the gravity of the situation and just scraps a, a you know a really a really kind of unattractive one no one interesting I could I could definitely see that happening um, but I am going to go the other way I'm going to go for a one nil palace win uh, I think palace are just in really really good form right now 
they're grinding out results, they're keeping clean sheets, and I think that Wolf Zaha grabs the goal, and it's 1-0 Palace. All right, yeah, I think that certainly certainly could happen. Watford is pretty terrible, so... <laughs> All right, on to the final game of Saturday. The late kickoff is Manchester City at home to Manchester United, the Manchester Derby. This one's being played at the Etihad. Who do you have for this one, Zach? These are as tough. The the same city derby uh, is always something that's difficult to predict. Um, I, you know, I I, I think that both teams are up for it. I I think that both managers are able to motivate their squads for this one. Ole having played in this match previously and Pep Guardiola being the, you know, master tactician he is. Um, I'm going to say this one ends... Uh, 2-2. I think that both both you know both defenses leak a few goals, but I, I don't see anybody coming out on top here. Interesting. I, I think with the home field advantage and obviously with a team that's probably in a little bit better form, Manchester City I think will comfortably win this one. A 3-1 win for City is what I'm predicting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so so th- th- I think that's fair, and I, I think that going on to the Sunday and Monday fixtures, um, if we're talking about comfortable wins, I think that Leicester going away at Villa, um, Leicester is just brimming, brimming with confidence right now. Uh, I, I see them taking this one 2-0, um, and although Grealish has been in unbelievable form since coming back for Villa, I think that Leicester's defense, um, especially especially Soyuncu, will be able to neutralize that attack. Yeah, Soyuncu's been in great form, but I actually have Villa, um, who I think are a great home team, um, getting a point in this one. I'm going for a 1-1 draw. I think that Vardy scores a goal and Grealish will either score or play in, a part in the uh, in the goal for Villa. That's a fair, That's a fair prediction. Uh, yeah, so so a point dropped or two points dropped for Leicester in their title wow. chase in that one. Mm-hmm. That should be, that's my prediction at least what we're going with. I got to pick a couple of surprise ones here as well. That's true. Okay, so so Newcastle hosting Southampton, uh, as you said, a relegation six-pointer as the two teams are only separated by uh, a number of points at the moment. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know. Newcastle coming off a 2-2 draw in Man City to me uh, and then a game against Sheffield United, it, it just screams an underperformance in my mind for the tune. Um, we, you know, for, for the impressive results that we have had against top teams this season the one thing we have not done at all is be consistent uh, and i see this happening again against southampton danny Ings will get a goal this one ends 1-1 one, one. um interesting prediction i am going for this one a 2-1 newcastle victory goal scorers almiron saint maximin and of course love it the magic dan oh i like all right i like that a lot that's that's good i i mean almiron and Say Maximin will try to prevent each other from scoring, so we'll see how that goes. Here's here's one more stat for you. When was the last time that Newcastle actually lost a game? At a- it was the first match of the season. You're absolutely right. It was that one nil home loss to Arsenal. Yeah, they they fortress Saint James. For- Is it a fortress? Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> yep. Uh, okay, on to Norwich versus Sheffield United. What many thought would be 19th against 20th turns out to be 19th against 7th. Um, so it should be interesting for that. So Norwich at home in this one, I'm going for a 2-2 draw. Norwich have been scoring a couple more goals recently, so I'm feeling like they might uh, squeeze a point out of this. 
That's not a bad prediction. I, I think Sheffield United comes away with a 2-0 victory here. I think that they will be able to neutralize Norwich pretty well. It will be interesting to kind of see how this plays out because obviously they played against each other twice in the uh, championship last year and uh, neither side largely changed from those lineups. But I do think that Sheffield United really you know can exhibit their dominance in this one. Yep. All right, I could I could definitely see that happening. They're a great great team this year, as we talked about. Um, second to last game, Brighton home against Wolves. So um, definitely a bottom half team against a comfortable top half team here. And I'm going to f- reflect that in my prediction. So I'm going for a two nil away win for Wolves. Two nil away win for Wolves. Uh, yeah, that that's a yeah. I think that that that's probably the best guess. I'm gonna do a little bit of surprise here and say 1-1. I think that Brighton has looked good at home at times this year, especially against top sides. Uh, that that win against Spurs obviously being their best result of the season. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I think that 1-1, I think that Brighton can get something. Yeah, I could see them getting a point. Brighton, Brighton again have the, the talent and the team to do well. All right, cool. So uh, then we're, we're on to the last match of the weekend. It's West Ham hosting Arsenal to uh, London clubs. So a bit of a, a bit of a derby here. What does it look like to you, Adam? Um, so this one, I am going with a home win for the Hammers against Arsenal. I think they need it. I think Pellegrini needs it. Um, and I think Arsenal still haven't really kind of figured things out with Freddie at the helm yet. I think Mike Mikhail Antonio is in good form recently, and I think he bags a goal in this one and a 2-1 win for the Hammers. I like that. Yeah, I, I think that Arsenal... Um... I don't think that Arsenal's form really returns to them, at, at least in the short term. I, I'm going to go three nil West Ham. Oof. I think that Pe- I think that Pellegr- Pellegrini has his club turn it on, and uh, yeah, people people start talking about him having, you know, a, a much safer job than they may have a week previous. That's a it's a bold prediction. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. So uh, those are the predictions for the weekend. We will check back in in a couple weeks to, to see how both of us did. But um, to, to wrap up the Premier League-specific uh, portion of the podcast, we'll talk about top scoring charts. So Jamie Vardy bagging a goal uh, in their last match against Watford, sitting atop the scoring tables with 14 goals in 15 matches followed by Tammy Tammy Abraham back on the score sheet after an injury. He has 11, uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang at 10, and then four players tied on nine goals. We have Marcus Rashford, Sergio Aguero, Raheem Sterling, and Sadio Mane. So it's uh, shaping up to be an interesting, interesting Christmas period. We'll see what it looks like at the end of the month. Yeah, looking forward to it. Um, I think which now before we kind of go into our last couple of segments here, let's go ahead and take another quick commercial break. All right, so we are back now wrapping up the 32nd episode of The False Nines. As Adam said, we're going to jump right into our uh, more specialized segments, and we're going to start out here with your microphone moment. So to kind of refresh you on uh, this new section uh, with The False Nines now having our own email account, which is the false nines podcast at gmail.com. That's the false nine s podcast at gmail.com we've had a number of our listeners send in some questions which we 
encourage all of our listeners to do for a chance to be read on the podcast. So yeah, let's jump into a few questions that we received in the past couple weeks. Yeah, sure. So let's go ahead and get started with um, a friend of mine, Abakar from San Diego. Um, he's an Arsenal fan and he asked us, are Arsenal going to appoint a new manager mid-season or will they stick with Freddie Lundberg for now and wait until the summer to do so? Um, I think the latter because I, I don't think that any big name managers that Arsenal would want to attract are looking to to come over to Arsenal midseason. So I, I think that they waited out and hope that they can win a domestic trophy. There was always a strong rumor that Benitez was interested in that Arsenal position if it ever were to become available. Do you think that he's a possibility for them if he uh, if he feels like the Dalian project isn't going well? Eh, that's I mean that's an interesting one. I haven't played paid a ton of t- attention to. Benitez's time in China so far. Um, Arsenal certainly has the money for it because Benitez would be a very expensive manager uh, to try to sign. So I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility for for sure. But you're right, it would depend on what's going on with his project in China, which I, I do need to learn a bit more about. Yeah, I think from from what I've heard, it's he's not been doing as well as they had hoped. You know, they're kind of like not top of the league, but I would say in the top half of the league, that sort of kind of position. Mm, yeah okay so, possible maybe, maybe all right cool so so our second question uh coming from rich in england and rich uh had a had a bit of a lengthy one so we'll break it down here into a couple questions it says uh the idea of a european super league keeps getting bandied around do you think it will be a benefit to football on one hand losing those historic clubs from domestic football will be a big shame However, the Super League will be a magnet for the super-rich owners, and so would taking the Big Four out of the Premier League make it a more balanced and competitive league. Uh, Adam, do you want to try to unpack that one? Yeah, sure. So I think first and foremost, we've got to talk about who the Big Four are right now. Because uh, <laughs> historically, you would say that that was Manchester United, Manchester City, um, Arsenal, and Liverpool, right? Um, or maybe Chelsea in there as well. I think maybe the big five. Um, those would be the ones that you'd be talking about. But right now, I think that you'd be including Leicester in that conversation as well. So really the only two that I would say that are comfortably up there would be Liverpool and Manchester City. I think back to Rich's initial point, though, as far as a European Super League, I think it's really, really exciting. Um, I think that it's something that we could probably... Um, look to implement in the next couple of years but I do think then it would make the Premier League a league that would be less watched I think the global audience would drop pretty significantly without having those top quality teams in it Um, and as somebody who's a Newcastle fan I think that would be a big shame and would lose the allure of kind of some of those big games that you look forward to on the calendar every season yeah I think it a European Super League would only be uh, it, it would be awful. I think it would ruin European football as a whole. And it, like, it, it serves a very similar purpose to what the Champions League is. And I think that if you create a new league and you remove those clubs from their domestic leagues, it you're you're that's the first domino to tip in the just like kind of slow deterioration of what European football has always been. Uh, or sorry, what European domestic football has always been. So I think a Super League would be would have awful ramifications for for football across the continent um, and really for the culture and the history uh, of all of those clubs. Yeah, strong opinion on that one. I like it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So on to question number three. Um, this one's from long-term listener to the pod, Dane from Denver, and it'll be close to your heart this one, Zach. Is Brendan Rodgers the real deal and once again worthy of managing an elite club? I think he's referencing Liverpool. 
Uh, Brendan Rodgers is the real deal, and he's already managing in <laughs> Touche. I like it. Um, that said, I mean, do you ever see him managing outside of the Premier League? Um, could you see him potentially managing a Spanish team or Italian team one day? Ooh, I... No, I think that if Brendan Rodgers was to manage a team outside of the Premier League, it would be a national team. I could see Brendan Rodgers being a distant, distant shout for England manager at some point in the future. Interesting. Even though he's got those Northern Irish roots. He does. He does. Those beautiful, beautiful Northern Irish Irish roots that he has. Um, Yeah, I I think that in terms of his current situation, this project is literally the perfect project for him. So he's not going to be moving anytime soon. He's definitely a great fit there. Okay. Yeah, um, absolutely. You want to grab question four? Yeah, so uh, this is from Chris in Wales. Uh, so one of our loyal Welsh listeners. And Chris asks, in 1981, English football went from two points for a win to three points for a win. Would the English Premier League be more fair if we reverted back to the old points scoring system? Adam, I'm going to leave this up to you because this is kind of a a much more stats and data question. So I think you'd probably take this on a bit better. Yeah, and I think um, in in talking, this is is my dad. Um, He mentioned it to me (laughs) earlier on in the week. Um, He made the point that, you know, had this rule been in place, then Liverpool would have won the Premier League last season and he's you know he's he's definitely a liverpool fan he loves Jurgen klopp and the way that they play football is a big fan of that so i did a little bit of analysis on it and i wanted to see kind of what the standings would be if we made that change and, and the standings would be liverpool leicester man city chelsea the exact same top four that we have um wolf spurs sheffield united and arsenal um, in that order. So I don't know that there necessarily would be that much of a change. Um, it looks a lot closer in terms of the amount of points that teams would have scored. But again, remember, there's only two points for a win and one point for a draw. So it's equally as difficult to claw those deficits back. Personally, I don't know that it would make a ton of difference, um, but, it, but it certainly would have last season in terms of the title race. Yeah, well, so... That is interesting. Um, looking at it, what what it would be, it, it would actually be like the the separation between first and second would be even wider if that was the case. So Leicester would be what they would be five points, or actually, sorry, sorry, I I misread that. So the the separate the distance between the two clubs would be the same, um, but would in that case would a draw still be one point? Is yes. that the idea? Yes, exactly. And okay. funnily enough, and I do did some research on this earlier. Um, England was the first country to instigate that three points for a win rule and change it from two and a lot of countries then subsequently followed suit in the immediate years afterwards yeah i mean i just i i think that it makes sense for a win to be more than one like i i don't think a win being only one point more than a draw makes sense if you if you beat a team i think the reward should be more than double that the draw i can't really explain why i feel that way but i just that that just makes sense to me cool All right, so our last question for our segment here is from Sam from Denver, and he asked us, why does VAR take so long to analyze as compared to video review in other professional sports? I think he's got a great point there. There's been multiple cases of three- to four-minute reviews of calls in the the Premier League this season, um, and it seems to take a lot longer than it does in other professional sports, especially here in the United States. That that is a really good question. I, I would say the first reason is that the technology just doesn't work. Like VAR is not 
the the technology that they have in their way their way of evaluating uh, offsides and uh, specifically offsides because offsides is the biggest issue with VAR right now. Um, you know they they weren't ready for it. Whereas in a sport like let's say tennis for example, uh, when you have a, a challenge done, they can immediately go to the camera and see exactly where that ball landed. The way that they draw these lines to determine if somebody was on or offside is completely ridiculous. That you see these crudely drawn lines and you're not able to really tell where a person's body part was. So I think it takes so much longer because the technology is just not even remarkably remotely close to be ready to be used at this level. Yeah, that's a great point. I think, you know, they they've been also doing it a lot longer in those other sports and I feel like they've got people in it who can make quicker decisions. The problem is it's just these millimeter decisions that they're, you know, they're they're making right now that just takes so long to look at. And even with the technology, even after reviewing it, you're not guaranteed to get it right because there's such marginal calls that you're making. Yeah, I, I think so. And I think that, you know, it's VR, I think, has only gotten worse and worse as this season has gone on, and we're not even halfway through the season. So I can't imagine what the outcry is going to be like later, especially if decisions are made that affect heavily affect, you know, the finishing position of, of certain teams in the league. Yeah, it's been good for Newcastle so far, though, so long may it continue. That's true. Exactly. I agree with that. That's perfectly put. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, let's get into Armchair Pundits then. So for listeners that haven't listened to the pod before, Armchair Pundits is when Zach and I make an outrageous claim or allegation around the Premier League or otherwise, and then try and back it up with statistics or really just thoughts on why we think it may be true. So um, I'm going to start if you don't mind this week, Zach. All right. Go All right. For go for it. it. All right. So this one's um, it's a goalkeeping related one. Um, so this one is, if Matt Ryan, Brighton Athletic, Brighton Hove Albion's keeper, was English, he would walk into the England team. Um, and, here, and here is how I will back this up. Matt Ryan is 27. He has over 50 caps for Australia. Took over from Mark Schwarzer, Schwarzer as the Australian national team goalkeeper at the age of 20. So he's basically been playing full international football for seven years. Right now, looking at the state of the goalkeepers for England, the three people that are talked about really as number one choices for them is Jordan Pickford, who has only one clean sheet this season um, for Everton. Nick Pope is largely unproven, and Burnley are leaking goals like crazy. And then Jack Butland, who is playing championship football, um, so not even Premier League football for Stoke. Um, I think that personally, the biggest positional concern for Southgate at the Euros is goalkeeper. Um, he'll probably end up going with, looks like recently, Nick Pope has been the, the goalkeeper of choice. Um, and then when I look at clean sheet percentages, Ryan has a better clean sheet percentage than Pickford, um, a slightly worse one than Pope. Um, but I do think that that, you know, is all relative, right? That's 20 clean sheets in 85 games for Ryan and 18 and 63 for Pope. Um, and I think that, you know, Brighton have, you know, been a historically weaker team defensively um, than I think that, uh, sorry, than, than I think that Burnley have been. Um, so that that's kind of my, my th- thinking for that. I also think that Nick Pope needs to be taking over from Jordan Pickford. I think he's a massively overrated goalkeeper. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I like that. I can't argue with those that level of statistics you just threw my way. Um, I, I do agree that Pickford is not the right keeper for England. I think that is the biggest issue is that there aren't really any 
superstar keepers uh, for England, nor have there been in in uh, in a bit of time. So uh, it will be uh, it will be interesting to see who they feel in Euros. Yeah, it's going to be going to be very interesting. And just a shout out to Matt Ryan again. I think he's a fantastic goalkeeper and very much an unsung hero for that Brighton team. Yeah, a great quarterback as well. <laughs> yeah, for our for our British the, listeners, that one's probably lost on them. But yes, he is a quarterback yes. for the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, one of the one of the few dual football football athletes <laughs> in the world right now. <laughs> um, okay, armchair pundits taking it to Leicester as I always do. Jamie Vardy. Not only leads the league in scoring, but he breaks Mo Salah's goal record this year. Oh, that's an interesting one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I just, I don't see him slowing down. Like, I, I really don't see a scenario in which Jamie Vardy doesn't continue to score. He, he, he takes he takes the penalties for Leicester, so that's big because, you know, they're a team that, that does attack, uh, has a, a really pretty aggressive attacking style so they're they're always a danger to to kind of get fouled in the box uh um and they, they just I, as i continue to reiterate they i think they have a better team now than they ever have in in club history and i think that uh they are able to continue feeding them the ball i think that him and james madison are making an incredible pairing iozzi perez is coming into really good form right now i would say as that kind of player behind the 10 to get some space for for vardy uh yeah i see i see vardy uh breaking that goal record um and maybe even maybe even going as far as saying that he uh gets uh ends the season with a goal a game 38, 38 goals in 38 matches. That would be very impressive if he did. I don't know if you remember one of my former armchair pundits predictions, but I said that the top goal scorer in the Premier League this season would score more goals than Newcastle did this year. Of course, and, and, yeah. And in that race right now, it's Vardy with 14 and Newcastle with 13, but we have a game in hand, Zach. <laughs> Thank God. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll, after, after we... Don't score against Sheffield United, then uh, we will still be a goal back of Jamie Vardy. <laughs> He's a top-class striker. I, I think I was texting with you earlier on and uh, chatting about a quote from Jurgen Klopp, where they bas- he basically was challenged by the press that the combined goals of Firmino, Salah, and um, Mane were only two more than Jamie Vardy for the season, and Klopp made a very kind of uh, harsh dig at Jamie Vardy and basically said that yeah it's easy for him because he doesn't have to play on a Tuesday or Wednesday night in the Champions League nor does he get into his international team starting lineup um, so I'm sure that when Leicester play that return fixture and Liverpool come to town I should say against them Vardy probably won't forget those comments no Jamie Vardy is never a man to forget comments chat, chat <laughs> no, shit no. get banged it's true. Yeah, no, no man throws shade at the Vardy name and, and lives to tell the tale. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. All, all, all valid points by Klopp, but I could see how it would stir some, stir some anger. In yeah, it's just a little bit of gamesmanship, right? Yeah, exactly. All right, cool. Yeah, so two uh, two audacious uh, predictions for for the or an audacious prediction and a, a, a audacious statement uh, for the armchair pundits. Um, and with that, we will will go into ten and ninety. So the final section of the podcast. Uh, this one again for new listeners. Adam and I will both uh, throw a few rapid fire questions uh, each other's way. Questions that neither of us know. You know what the other person will be asking. So without any further ado adam why don't you start this off yeah sure i think you're gonna hate this one zach because it's very stat heavy um 
And I don't know if you remember, but earlier on this week, Newcastle were drawn in the third round away at Rochdale in the FA Cup. And this one is all related to the FA Cup. So are you ready? All right, let's do it. All right, so question number one. What year was the FA Cup founded? And I'll give you 10 years. Uh, 1888. 1871, very close. So 148 years ago. We're coming up on the 150th anniversary of the FA Cup in a couple of years. Very exciting. I'm excited too. All right, so question number two. Which team has won the most FA Cups in history, and how many have they won? Hmm. (laughs) Is it... Manchester United? It is not. It is actually Arsenal. And how many? That was my that was my other guess. How many um, have they won? Thirteen. Thirteen is correct. Well done, sir. There we go. There we go. There you go. I like it. All right. Uh, okay. Have Newcastle won an FA Cup? And if so, how many? And when was their last victory? Oh. Yes, they have. It was in, I feel like you asked me this at one point before. Was it in the 30s or the 40s? <laughs> Close. 19, 1955, we beat Manchester City 3-1 in the final. Um, and we've actually okay. won five FA Cups. Have we really? Have we really? Wow. Yeah. Oh. yeah, I was surprised by that too. I no idea. Uh, what was the largest yeah. ever FA Cup final win in history? Ooh. Oh, I like that one. Um uh six goal difference yeah it's actually six nil so um can you can okay. you tell me uh it was pretty recently can you tell me which one it was oh was it um wait a minute wait it wasn't last year was it it was <laughs> yeah wait it was manchester city beating watford. it was man yeah. city beating watford in fact they actually tied the record the original one had stood since 1903 <laughs> And was okay. Barry beating Darby six 0 So yeah, I was like, yeah, I was like, wait, why does this question sound so familiar? <laughs> well done, sir. It was a good, good answer. Uh, okay. All right, this is a fun one for you to finish. What is the biggest F- biggest ever FA Cup win? And I'll give you a clue here. This should help you a lot. It's happened in eighteen eighty seven. Oh, that should not help me a lot. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm gonna go with thirteen nothing. <laughs> it's actually double that. Preston North End beat Hyde twenty six zero in eighteen eighty seven. Oh man, that's I forgot that if you're ever talking about sports in the nineteenth century, you have to double whatever you're thinking. <laughs> exactly, it's a pretty good rule of thumb. Yeah, oh, that's that's hilarious. That's so awful. Yep. So there's your FA Cup trivia for the week, Zach. All right. I'm I'm glad to have to have gotten it. That was good. Um, cool. So my questions, uh, as you probably would expect, not as much uh, uh, stat driven. Um, in fact, none of them have a like a correct answer per se um but yeah so so let's go into this uh question number one adam who will be the next england manager whatever gareth southgate leaves his post uh let's go with chris wilder Ooh. Ooh. Is he he's English? Yeah, he's, he's so English. Mm-hmm. What am I saying? Yep. I've looked I've looked that up before. That's good. Yep. I like yep. that. I wonder how old he is. Um, Chris Wilder? Uh, late forties, early fifties, maybe. 
Oh, no, I, I think a bit older think than so? that. Maybe six. Eh, yeah, who knows? Um, uh, all right, question number two. How many clubs will sack their managers before the end of the season? Uh, and I'm going to make a note that we are at uh, approximately three and a half clubs <laughs> at the moment, as it, <laughs> se- as it seems as though Everton will be sacking Silva, so they count for the half. I'm going to make a guess that half of the teams in the Premier League will replace managers. That is, wow. That, that would be wild. Um, Do we count Watford twice uh, in that, though? You count Watford twice? I'm, I, I'm asking, do you count Watford twice in that statistic? Because they've basically churned through two managers already this season. That's fair. That's fair. So it'd be four and a half then. Um, yeah. Wow. That's awful. My God. <laughs> all right. Uh, all oh, right. Chris, Chris Wilder, 52. And apparently, oh, okay. in looking him up right now, tipped for the Everton job by ex-Everton legend Tony Cascarino. Ex-Everton legend at saying, I want this man in my own <laughs> That's club. probably that, yeah. true. Take, take literally nothing from that. Uh, okay, uh, question number three. Who? Uh, so so uh, a few days ago, Lionel Messi uh, winning his sixth Ballon d'Or, um, which rebroke the record uh, that he was sharing with Cristiano Ronaldo. So I ask you, who is the next uh, person not named Messi or Ronaldo to win the Ballon d'Or? Ooh, what a great question. Uh... I think the I'd love to see a defender win it, and I think Virgil Van Dyke was nominated for it, and I think he's the best defender in the world. So why not Van Dyke? Okay, I like that. That's good. I know that Mbappe was being pretty heavily tipped over the last couple of years, but um, I think that's a very good. He's chance. proved more on the international level, Mbappe, so far than I think he has at the club level. So we'll see um, how his career pans out from here. Absolutely. All right. Question number four. So the Euro 2020 draw just happened a few days ago. And the group that really uh, is is making people lick their lips is the true, true group of death, uh, which is made up of France, the winner of the last World Cup. Germany, the winner of the World Cup previous to that, and Portugal, the team that won the last uh, Euro tournament in in 2016, as well as a fourth team that has not been selected yet uh, because the playoff has not finished. So I ask you, Adam, of this group, what two teams get out of it? Um, So I would have naturally said France, but they've really struggled in qualifying. They they barely won that group ahead of Turkey and lost to Turkey in qualifiers, Um, Turkey who were in, in Wales's group. So, it's a good question. Germany are in really good form right now. I'm going to go with France and Germany. I think Portugal are very much a one-man team at the moment. I think, you know, Ronaldo will hopefully drag them up by their bootstraps, but I think they just have more strength in depth with those two countries. Hmm. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, that's a fair prediction. Um, all right. So then uh, question number five, kind of going off question number four, who would you say your dark horse to win Euro 2020 is? I think most people are tipping the Netherlands as their dark horse. Um, but, yeah. you know, there's only one answer for me. And what a great way to end the podcast. Of course, it's Wales. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Wales, golf, Madrid in that in order. In that order. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I like that prediction. Oh, my God. The sea, would you fly back to Wales if they made the final? Oh, absolutely. I wouldn't be in Wales. But, yes, it would. Uh, I would I would try very hard to, to get tickets if it happened. I would drop anything I'm doing if it was the, the Euro final. That would be 
That would be wild with Hal Robson Kanu winning it on a Cruyff turn. No, no, no. Kiefer Moore now. He's the new legend. I know. I think I think we had this exact same <laughs> sentence in our last pod. But <laughs> All right, cool. Well, that will be the 32nd episode of the False Nines podcast, our second episode on uh, the SB Nation uh, platform. So, yeah, to, to kind of just wrap up, uh, I would love to encourage folks, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the Coming Home Newcastle uh, podcast channel. Uh, it's available on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere that you listen to your podcasts. Um, uh, in addition to that, if you have any questions about footy that you'd want us to address on our next episode in two weeks' time, feel free to send us an email at thefalse9s, that's thefalse9s, podcast at gmail.com shoot us an email with a question and we will address it on our next episode yeah that's absolutely right and remember listeners we are the only freddie adu endorsed podcast on sb nation and very proud of that fact right zach that is true yeah so this is a shout out to freddie our, our biggest and longest listening fan yep. see you freddie uh, it's been a pleasure zach right. footy. Footy. footy until next time <laughs>